Galway Film Podcast. My name is Will Fitzgerald and this is the Galway Film Podcast. Today on the show, we're bringing you an interview with Irish mega producers Ed Guiney and Andrew Lowe, recorded live at this year's Goai Film Fla. As the founder of Element Pictures, Ed and Andrew have produced some of Ireland's most critically acclaimed films and co-productions. The entire filmography of Lenny Abramson, including the Oscar, BAFTA and Golden Globe winning film Room, the recent works of Yorgos Lanthimos, including the upcoming Venice Jury Prize winning film The Favourite, and many, many more, including films by Paddy Brannock, Ken Loach and Jared Barrett. Ed and Andrew's newest film and latest collaboration with Lenny Abramson is in cinemas from today. The Little Stranger is a gothic post-World War II drama starring Donald Gleeson, Charlotte Rampling, Will Poulter and Ruth Wilson. The interview is moderated by producer Simon Perry. The Goi Film Podcast is produced by Grease On Demand Skillnet Training. If you enjoy the show, leave us a review on iTunes. I'll be back next week with another new episode. Until then, here's Simon Perry. So... Welcome to In Conversation with Ed and Andrew. I mean, if you think Ed and Andrew are just kind of slightly successful film producers, um, you also need to know that they have relationships with some of the, the best auteur directors and writers in Europe. And they run a distribution company now, which is really the only distribution company that's ever had real traction in Ireland, I think. They have an online platform called Volta, which shows most or all of the Irish films ever made, I think. And uh, they provide uh, production services to some of the, the highest quality TV that's made in this country. And as, of course, you know, they're in the cinema business as well, that is running cinemas, and have uh, a, a, they made a success of The Lighthouse in Dublin, which is a, a four-screen uh, Artplex, uh, which is really working. And, of course, just most recently and most close to home, they now have uh, the Palace or Palace or however we should pronounce it, theatre right here in Galway, a three-screen Artplex here, which opened in February and which is for the first time uh, one of the host venues for the FLA. So they're extraordinarily busy and... Uh, I'm going to talk to them and try to encourage them to tell us how they became who they are and the partnership and the duo that they are and how they make such a very significant mark on the landscape. Actually, not just of Ireland, but now with an office in Northern Ireland and with an office in London for some time. Um, they're a very significant force in the cinema work of this country. Um, I think I'm right in saying that about 25 or more years ago at Trinity College, you were both uh, wandering around doing something, learning something maybe, uh, but you didn't actually know each other at that point. They're very similar in age, these two guys. Um, but I think you didn't actually meet until... Well, we knew each other when we were... I mean, we, we sort of... We knew each other vaguely, not terribly well, but um, because I was in school with one of Andrew's cousins. And, uh, yeah, and then his sister, older sister, Karen, was 
a year ahead of me in college, and uh, we are we are of a similar vintage. But Andrew likes to remind everyone, particularly me, that I'm two years older than he is. Uh, so we were in college at the same time, but uh, but sort of yeah, knew each other, but moved in slightly different circles. But two years only matters if you're like eight and ten. It, yeah. matter <laughs> it really matters to Andrew still. Actually. Very important to Miss <laughs> So you you trained as an accountant, Andrew, I think. Did you train as anything useful, Ed, or? No, I, no. I didn't. I did, a, I, did, I did a degree in Trinity, which was sort of, it, it was, the main reason I did it was because it was eight hours of lectures a week. It was um, ESS, Economic and Social Studies, was commonly known as a Dossier's degree in those days. Um, and I, I did it, I mean, I didn't really know what I want. I mean, I did know I wanted to, to be in films, actually. I did know that, but my dad thought I should do something sensible, which is why I did ESS, so. But did that ever lead into a profession other than? No, I mean, it, as I say, production? it's sort of, it, because it was, it was like, it was, um, you know, it was, it was kind of eight hours of lectures a week. It just gave me time to do lots of other things, and I was involved in the theater thing, and then I set up a filmmaking society in Trinity with, with Lenny Abramson. So that, that's kind of what I did when I was in college. Well, that, that's a good start. I mean, that showed you had taste in good directors. Um, what actually brought you together? Did you work on a movie that Ed was producing? Or, because yeah. you, you started as a production accountant, right? I did, yeah. I, I, after training as uh, an accountant with Cooper's and Library, I started freelancing as a production accountant. And Ed and I worked uh, together on a film called Sweetie Barrett, which he produced, and I was a production accountant on Stephen Bradley directed. Uh, in 1998. Right. Yeah. So that was the first time we had sort of uh, worked together. And as Ed said, we'd known each other as sort of when we were kids in school a bit. And when I first started working in the industry, I uh, went to see Ed in his little garret in uh, Eustace Street in Temple Bar. And uh, so we sort of stayed in touch. And then Sweetie Barrett came along. So we, we um, worked together on that. And that was the start of a conversation really about tried to find a way of working together in a more uh, permanent way, I suppose. Even yeah. at that first encounter stage, you started talking about working together, did you? What did you discover that what? you had in common that made you feel well, I mean, could happen? From, from my point of view, I remember, um, and I mean, a lot of producers will have this experience. Um, I mean, I had, I, I, when I first went into business, I set up a company called Temple with a very close friend of mine, Stephen Bradley, who's a filmmaker, and who then went on to direct this film, Sweetie Barrett. But I remember, I think that was the third or fourth film I produced, but I, I, ha I remember having this experience of, um, you know, kind of as, as a almost solo producer, you know, putting the finance together, trying to remain across the film creatively, um, and also then trying to develop the next thing, you know, kind of keep the pipeline going. And as, as a kind of one-man band, that's virtually impossible. It's absolutely impossible because you get so consumed by a film that you kind of drop everything else and then you come up with the other, you know, the other end of it and the, the cupboard is bare. And I think that's why a lot of producers work together. Uh, you know, you find producing duos, if you like. Um, and when Andrew and I worked on, on Sweetie Bard, it was an Irish... Icelandic, German, German Spanish co-production, yeah. I think. And so it was a very complicated co-production. And Andrew uh, was m you know, much more than a production accountant, was just brilliant at 
running the finance plan and figuring it out. So you imagine it was a very complicated thing, and and you know spend in all these territories and 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 was just brilliant at it. And so I kind of you know was very um, aware of of that facility and thought that that would be a very valuable thing. But you to have. raised the money for the film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then you administered it. And mm-hmm. It was a complicated closing. I mean, a lot of yeah. people here would know that, but it was just, you know, and, and so I suppose my thing was, well, actually, if there's, you know, if, if, if as a kind of a duo you can do that and you can do the creative stuff and then you can kind of find a way of keeping a pipeline of stuff coming down the tracks, that's a good basis for a, a company, basically. So was it that you thought, well... Andrew could be looking after the things that I, Ed, find less interesting or which I feel I'm less equipped to do, that you had complementary skills in that way? I mean, I think Andrew's definitely better at that than I am. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not, but, but it wasn't really that. It's also just a fellow traveler, a partner. Uh, I mean, because, you know, although we do divide sort of the way we operate, also it's very much a partnership. So you know, on, on all aspects of whether it's a film or running a company, we talk about everything all the time, even though, you know, Andrew may be more involved in one thing than I am or vice versa. But, you know, there's, a, there's an ongoing conversation about the whole thing. I, I mean, it depends on the kind of person you are, but I'm, I mean, I definitely find that sort of um, both in, I mean, particularly in the bad times, you know, when mm-hmm. things are really tough, it's, it's really comforting to have that kind of, um, that, that relationship with someone who, who, who actually also has something at stake as well as you do. I mean, you can always talk to a friend and they'll be very sympathetic, but if it's someone who's actually got skin in the game, it's a much more kind of intense conversation in a sense. And it's, it's you know, certainly uh, hugely kind of, um, it's, it's a great support because it's really tough, you know, producing films is a really, really tough thing to do. And, uh, and, and, and I think then there is, we do complement each other, you know, and, uh, and that sort of definitely, definitely made us, I think, more, you know, more than the sum of two, hmm. if you like. My sense of, um, we've worked together as well. My sense of working with you is that pretty much all the decisions, maybe absolutely all the decisions you took essentially together, hmm. um, do you share a taste? Would you say you share a taste in, in film, in work, in directors? And um, Yeah, I would think we do. I mean, uh, you know, as between us, as Ed describes it, you know, we, we work closely together, but we also have kind of areas we, we focus on. And within the company, Ed is clearly the sort of creative uh, force and in, 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 head of, if we had that title, head of creative in, in the company. Uh, but I would share a similar taste and sensibility to Ed, I think, in terms of film. And I think we often... You know, one of the nice things to do, we don't do it very often, but Toronto is a good example of a go to film festival and actually just take a few days out to watch films. And often, particularly with Toronto, it's fantastic. You literally just sit there and there's four or five films in a row and you sometimes don't even quite know what to expect. But but I think we often respond to the same sort of material that we perhaps don't know who the filmmaker is, but we, you know. And that would be... A filmmaker you might want to work with, or would it be a film you might want to? No, not always. No, no, not necessarily. Well, I think it's really just. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't mean to say we literally sit there and don't care what we're watching, but you know, it's kind of that you you can sometimes. It's one of the few times when you can actually indulge yourself and watch films that you may not otherwise have a reason to go and watch. You know, mm. um, but I would say we share a similar sensibility in that regard. And that has continued uh, through. I mean, we'll get into how you develop the company and so on. I, I tend to have a sense that, Andrew, you're more involved in, in 
the management of the company, um, the, the administration, the development? Well, no, or I wouldn't say that's not. fair. Not no? really, no. I mean, I think, you know, one of the things we figured out over the years is in order to grow the company and sustain the level of activity, we needed to find good people to work with. And, and we've made a, we put a lot of energy in, into that. So we've, you know, we have hired some great people. Um, Annette Waldron's our COO, and she she now deals with a lot of, I mean, perhaps before she joined, I, I maybe had slightly more in that area than Ed, but she will deal with a lot of the kind of HR and, and internal stuff. Um, and we have a big development team and we've had a development and, you know, so, so there's a whole bunch of people. Um, I would tend to, I'm more focused on the cinemas, on uh, distribution, right. production, finance, right. business affairs, but, you know, but I, I, you know, it, it, it really depends on what's going on. I mean, sometimes there are some productions I'm not that involved. Ed is very much just looking after other times. I roll up my sleeves and I'm there with him because maybe the stuff going on. We you need you to. sometimes have producers, sometimes executive mm. producer credits, I notice, on the co-productions. Um, mm. you, so you, you kind of work that out between you ad hoc, do you? Yeah. You don't yeah. have a as, policy as, about as that. As feels, mm. yeah, natural. Do you do more film than television? Do, do you do more of the work on TV, Andrew, or does it split equally? Or? Well, I, I would say, I mean, not to kind of correct for you, but I mean, the production services business you described in terms of TV is really more historical thing. It's yes, not something we right. really do anymore. Right. Um, I mean, we, we are doing more TV and want to do more, but that's really television we're developing and, and producing ourselves. So, but yeah, historically, we did we were very active with a lot of UK TV drama shooting in Ireland, and I would tend to have looked after that. So, uh, But you're developing much more of that yeah. now, are you, yeah. yourself? Yeah. Yes, I yeah. see. Let's go back, though. I mean, we're, mm. we'll talk about the companies it is now. And how many people now are you employing, by the way? What's the? Uh, I mean, excluding the cinemas, we have uh, twenty-eight people in in between London and Dublin and Belfast. And that excludes yeah. the the cinema, cinema staff yeah. who are part-time. Yeah. Whatever. Well, no, many of them are full-time, but it's just it's just a, it's you know. So there are there's fifteen full-time staff in okay. Lighthouse and about twenty part-time. Okay. And in Pulse here is uh, I think now about twelve full-time and okay. about ten or so part-time. Yeah. Okay, so let's go back. You did Squeety Barrett together. You started talking about maybe having something together, mm -hmm. a company or something. But then I think, uh, Andrew, you got a job with the film board. Isn't that right? Yeah. Okay. Um, I, uh, yeah, I, I ended up doing a small job for the film board. And then this opening, uh, Rod Stoneman was running at the time. And he asked me if I'd consider taking on the role of head of business affairs. Um, and I agreed I would do that for two years, and uh, and I did it for two years. And, and Ed and I, as, as I described earlier, started this conversation, and it was sort of an on-off conversation over time about opportunities and how you might kind of uh, do things differently. And uh, I suppose during the course of that two-year period, we we sort of. Uh, you know, spoken more in a more serious way about it, and and. But for the record, I want to say that Andrew gave me a really, really hard time in the recruitment <laughs> of disco pigs. Yeah. Just yes, for the record. Did. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that, that that was possibly an idea in our relationship, but I, I was <laughs> scrupulous, as you'd imagine. But just yeah. talk a little bit about um, the climate at the time in in Irish filmmaking, because I mean, I was working in the UK. I was running British Screen, and I was collaborating with with Rod on certain films. Mm. Um, uh, and from the outside, it looked as if 
with uh, Section 35, as it was then, which mm. was really in place and running very smoothly, and with the revitalized film board, which had been put back on track in about 93, I guess. Yeah. Um, by the late 90s, there was a strong output of stuff from here, and there was a sense of confidence and new producers and, and new directors as well. Um, I can think of four or five different producers who are still very active, and uh, among them you. Uh, how, talk a little bit about, about that time here in Ireland. Was it, was it in that climate, was that conducive to you thinking, we could really do something here together and build a company that could be something more than just a film-to-film-to-film -film independent producer? Or did you not yeah. have a sense of that? Yeah, I mean, I think Ed could probably talk about it more from a sort of personal experience inside it. I mean, I was slightly outside. At the beginning of the 90s, I was uh, in Trinity trying to figure out what I wanted to do. Uh, went to a talk in the IFI by uh, Christopher Shepard, I think his name is Sally Potter, oh, yes. uh, producer, <laughs> and uh, he 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 gave a talk about Orlando and the making of that film. And I'd loved the film; it was an amazing film. And they'd shot in the Caucasus just after the fall of the Berlin Wall. Just to tell you, the they're about to re-release it. Do you know? Are they? Yeah, right. They're really re-releasing it in a new. Uh, right. 4K print. Okay, yeah. I can name two cinemas that'll be playing it. Exactly, for, for guaranteed. <laughs> but uh, I, 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 I just—I mean, I was blown away by listening to this man. I didn't know anything about him or what he did, but like describing his job and putting the finance together for that film and the challenges it had making that film in a post-Soviet world. Um, so th that was my first kind of introduction to film. So I, I, I loved film, but I didn't I didn't know you could have a career in it, and that that was possible. Um, so that for me that was ninety one, and I uh, I worked on my first film in nineteen ninety three. So that that was around the time the film board was established. Ed was already much more active in in the industry, but it went from that that which was kind of first a lot of first time possibilities for people through to the end of the 90s, there was a lot of filmmaking activity going on. A lot of people had made their second film, and, and there, was, there was a lot of... I, I seem to recall around the end of the 90s, there was a British parliamentary uh, delegation came to Ireland, went to see Michael D to find out what it was the Irish had done to kind of, oh, yeah. you know, turn things around so successfully. And it's, it's slightly ironic now, considering how strong the British industry is, and, and you know, arguably we're, we've sort of slipped back a little bit, but, you know... Um, anyway, so yeah, there was a lot of heady he optimism, I would say, in, in, in the 90s, and a lot of opportunity, and there was still, it was still a period when there was lots of new things going on, so there was like German, you know, stock market money, and then there was insurance money, and then there was, you know, so there was waves of all this cash coming into the industry, and that sort of trickled its way down everywhere, and distributors still made money in those days, and still had TV sales, so it was possible to find a number of European distributors who would all cobble together, you know, you could you could put a finance plan together pretty much for anything. Are they not not quite, but it was there was more options available then than, than arguably there are now. Ed, yeah. would you Yeah, I mean I, like I sort of might echo that? Yeah I would. I mean I like I sort of you know, as I said, um when I was in college I set up I started working with Lenny was a friend and started working with him and 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 I sort of came out of college in the late 80s and people were beginning to make short films so we made this film called Three Joes, it was Lenny and, and I, I, Michael West wrote it and Dominic West and Michael Murphy and Gary Cook were in it and then you know Damien O'Donnell was working on it, Leslie McKim who's here somewhere I think was working on it, uh, um, John Moore worked on it you know so and then we would all work on 
each other's films. So there was a kind of, this was pre-film board really, but there was a kind of groundswell of people making short films and working on each other's films. And obviously no one was being paid, but actually the films started to register internationally. You know, they were, they were getting picked up. They were at Carla Vivari and Oberhausen and places, not, sorry, Clermont Ferrand and Oberhausen and, you know, beginning to do really quite mm -hmm. well. Mm -hmm. um, and so you had this kind of, this, this, there was a kind of, there was an impulse which came from somewhere to make films in the kind of late 80s, early 90s. And that was then given a focus when the film board was reestablished in 93. And we were of that generation who were, you know, looking to make our first films as the film board was reestablished. So the first film I produced was Paddy Bernock's film. Um, Guildford? Ailsa. No, that oh, was Jerry Stembridge's film. So, yeah. uh, oh, that's Stembridge. Right? Yeah, Stembridge's, Jerry's film. So. And um, in fact, we've just, you know, 25 years later, just produced a film for Paddy uh, called Rosie, which uh, Roddy Doyle wrote, which we just shot earlier this year. He's still a great friend. So, so my kind of, my friends were filmmakers, people in film, that, actors, that, you know, I'd gone into theatre. So that was kind of my world, if you like. Um, so I wasn't being strategic about it. And, and I, I, in the sense that, I, you know, I was thinking, oh, there's a business here. It was more out of passion. You know, it was more out of a, a love of, of making, of, of watching films. And, um, and actually, I've, I sort of, when I was a kid, I was obsessed with reading... Um, I was obsessed with reading biographies of, you know, the kind of old sort of Eastern Europeans who went and started, you know, the Hollywood studios. That was my, that was my sort of, I didn't read biographies of directors. I read, you know, biographies of, you know, Mayer and Thalberg and Selznick and all these people. I was totally fascinated by it. And, um, and, so, and I had a sense that I kind of wanted to be in this world, but that I wasn't a filmmaker, but that I wanted to be around that and that I could, I just, it was an instinct. It wasn't, you know, I came from a medical family, so it wasn't like I sort of, sort of learned it anywhere. It was just, a, it was a, but it, it came from, you know, it came from watching movies. And I had a great friend um, who, they were a well-off family, and they, they had the first, I mean, this really dates me now, but they had the kind of, you know, the early VHSs and Betamaxes and stuff like that, which, you know, I guess was early 80s. And um, Met Metropo Metropolis was a video store on Baggett Street, which John Dick, who some of you mm -hmm. will know, opened. And it was the first video store in Dublin. And it was just incredible. So there was just this kind of... You, there was access to anything you could you could watch, and then there were lots of people who were interested in talking about making films, and that's sort of where it came from. And then I made a lot of first films, obviously um, Paddy's first film and Jerry's first film and Kirsten Sheridan's film, Disco Pigs, and Stephen Bradley's film. And and but as I said earlier, in the process of doing that, realized how hard it was to kind of do it in an almost solo capacity. So then when I met Andrew, it was like, well, we if we teamed up, we could do it, and then. Once we sort of, the first thing we did properly together, I think, was the Magdalene Sisters, Peter Mullen's film. I think mm. it was the first thing we properly yeah. made yeah. as element. Was that um, what, about 2000? 2000, yeah. 2001. 2001, yeah. Mm. And I think that, that was also a difficult experience. And I think that what we realized then was, was what you're talking about now, which is how do you make this a business? How do you kind of, mm. how, do you, mm. how do you sort of, how do you do that, which is kind of your passion, which is make movies? But again, probably the things that happen now were the things that happened then. You, you know, if there's a gap in the finance, you end up deferring your fees. It's like it's, it's all that stuff. And although, as Andrew says, there was more money out there, it was still very hard to, to make films. Mm. Um, you mentioned um, Magdalene Sisters, which was, uh, I think as people know, a, a very tough film in terms of its production. Yeah. Um, 
Did you find on that film that it was just helpful to have somebody else yeah. working with you? Yeah. Because up until then, you'd always produced alone. Well, right? I had actually, I, Stephen Bradley was my, my partner in Element, uh, sorry, in Temple, which was the name of the company then. Oh, he was an owner of the but, company? But, he? but he actually then decided he really didn't want to be, okay. you know, that he wanted to be a filmmaker, which is totally, so right. So, so he wor we did work together, but then he, he just decided that wasn't for him in, in a sense. I mean, he was actually very good at it. So I, I wasn't just alone, but I also had a sense that to kind of, to grow that, yeah, two people definitely is more than the sum of the parts, you know, and, and then when Andrew and I started talking, we realized that we needed to try and build other revenue opportunities around the core thing. Okay, but before you went to work at the film board, then mm -hmm. you discussed what you might do when you came out of prison, as it were. Um, you, you'd got a plan for the longer future. No, I, I, wouldn't say, I wouldn't say we had a plan. You know, we, didn't have, we didn't agree what we were going to do two years before we did it. Uh -huh. so we, but we were having an ongoing conversation mm -hmm. that we would have returned to. You know, the two years I worked in the film board, probably every couple of months we might have touched on it again. And then, and then it would have just gathered momentum in the months before I left. Um, so, and actually it's funny, I mean, you, you'll know for having worked there and a few people in the room have worked, then one of the hardest things about working the film board is leaving the film board. And so, uh, you know, because in a way you get sucked up in the whole thing. It was a great, for me, it was a fantastic two years. I learned an awful lot about uh -huh. uh, filmmaking and film financing working there. And there was endless reasons why now wasn't quite the right time and I could have could have stayed on, so I think you know there, there did come a point when Ed was like, "Well, look, either we're going to do something now or I'll move on." And you know, so I think that helped me, you know, crystallize my decision making. So it wasn't a clear cut thing going in that we're setting up a company in two years' time, but it was definitely a, a, a strong prospect that we talked about. Can you remember back then when you did tie the knot, as it were? We you, you started working together. Can you remember what your aspirations were? Did you articulate them at that point? I think it was, I mean, I, I, it was very much to be film producers, to make films. Mm -hmm. I mean, in, and, and, and then as I said earlier, then we kind of, we, I guess reality hit a bit and we realized that we needed to do other things. I mean, at that time as well, I also was involved in a television production company with David Collins. We made Bachelor's Walk and Pure Mule. And that kind of, that grew out of a, I suppose I remember, you know, trying to get, I think, Sweetie Barrett financed and practically, you know, I, I like being so frustrated because I couldn't get it going and, and just, and, and being really um, frustrated that I wasn't making something, you know, and, 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 and then David and I, we were great friends and he was really a mentor of mine, set up this TV drama company, which was sort of in parallel in those early days. Um, but part of my motivation for that was actually just to be active and to be making things and to have the kind of experience of looking at casting tapes and scripts and watching rushes and being part of that kind of the making of stuff. So I think that, you know, certainly I think both of us had that, that thing was to, you know, to make films, that was our that was our passion, and then, as I say, m as we move forward, to find things to surround that which were related to the central. And I think, in a way, like that's still probably you know at the very centre of the company, mm -hmm. even though we, you know, we have other things going on. But it's about really at the centre of the company is kind of is 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 the making of 
things and relationships with filmmakers, etc. Yeah, the word you use is quite interesting because you said several times you wanted to make films, you referred to films as films you made, and then you've also said that you weren't a filmmaker, you wanted to be a producer. <laughs> so you have a kind of interesting relationship to the work, I think, in, in the way you express that. Um, but you never wanted to be a director, right? Never. I mean, Most I really producers didn't. at some point no, I thought I, about I, it, but I, you never I, did. I, I, I think it might be because I met Lenny when I was so young. Uh-huh. And, okay. um, and, and, and I met him when I was 14, 13 or 14. And, and the first things I did, even in college, we had this little cockamamie filmmaking society and we made stuff. And it was so clear to me that he was so good that I think any latent ambitions I might have had were trounced by that realization. So, but, but honestly, I never felt it. And, and equally, even before, I, well, I had met Len at that point, but I, like my interest was in, in the kind of facilitation of that, you know, enabling that. That honestly was, I mean, and, and a passion, not, not, a, not a substitute, it's a passion. And I honestly, to this day, I don't have any regret because I, mm. I think I could probably make an average film, but I couldn't make as good a film as most of the people we work with. There are producers also who decide after many years and many productions to yeah. make films. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Very few Steve examples Woolley, of that working. Thomas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. I mean, yeah. But is would it, you say the same, Andrew? Would well, you describe it, your approach to the business of being a producer? The approach, would you call it making films, what you do? Yeah, I mean, I, I you know, for me, uh, I, I'm, I'm less directly involved in the creative process than say Ed is, and I, actually the point I was going to go on to make is I, I often find myself in conversation with people who aren't in the industry explaining what a film producer does, because I find people are commonly confused by it. Mm -hmm. And I, I think the thing, the point I always emphasize is it isn't just a business role, it is actually a creative role, and there is, and, and a producer has a you know, can have a, a very significant creative input in, into a project because often the project is is you know starts with a producer, often not always, and and you know producers there all the way through the process and see that at the other end. So there are parts of it. I mean, for me, the the bit of filmmaking I'm least interested in, to be honest, is production per se. I love uh, I love when we're in pre I mean, development. I you know I dip in and out of it. I'm quite lucky that way. I get to read drafts when they're worth reading. I don't have to actually go through the the whole, you know, the, the minutia of it. Um, so that's fun, if you like. I really love putting films together. Ed and I work closely together in terms of figuring out who's going to finance them, how we're going to finance them, where they're going to shoot, what budget level, all that stuff I find endlessly fascinating. Once the film's actually up and running, I my capacity for spending time in the set is about two to three hours, and after that I just find it's just... You know, I just my eyes glaze over. So I'm, I, and and that's usually when they're going fine. I mean, if there's, if you know, there have been some of our productions where maybe I spent more time because there's more going on that needs needs help with. But uh, but then I love when we get into post again, going to screenings and you know feeding in and but but also frankly not having the ultimate responsibility which rests on a director's shoulders for you know for the success of that film. And then again, partly because of our own you know distribution interests, I, I find all that fascinating festivals distribution strategy whether it's us or somebody else um, so yeah I mean so the marketing process is yeah, another yeah. passion for you yeah. but Ed do you spend more time on the set then uh, I mean like Andrew I don't really like being on set but I end up spending more time on set mm -hmm. yeah 
uh, yeah, or, or being around, yeah. Are you in a constant dialogue with the director during yeah. the production process? Yeah, I mean, it, it depends on who the director is, actually, mm -hmm. to be honest. And, and, and um, I mean, you know, I, I mean, an, an, an analogy for me is, is, you know, that the making of a film is one extended conversation. Um, and if the first time you talk about that subject is sufficiently interesting, then you'll have another conversation and another and another and another and another. And that conversation lasts for like three years or five years or 10 years sometimes. So it is an extended conversation and you have a very kind of intimate, you know, relationship with that filmmaker talking about all aspects of the film, but but each one is different, and each one, each filmmaker has a different way of working and a different. So so I find that I, I bend myself to, to to what works for them and and to what sort of conversation works well for them. Some people actually really like to talk a lot about you know the minutiae and the details of scripts or whatever it is, and others like to talk about that less or quite self-contained, but like to talk about other things more. So it's sort of, um, it. It, and I mean, the reason that I would be on set um, is not because I'm very useful there uh, generally, but it's it's when things are when things go wrong, you kind of need to be around to understand why they've gone wrong. And in a way, it's sort of um, it's I suppose trying to head things off at the pass and to to um, try and make the. The, the making of the film as smooth as possible. Um, but very, you know, we work with other producers a lot and there are producers in the company as well. So, you know, how I engage with, with any individual film really changes, you know, sometimes quite, you know, distant and sometimes very, very intimate and very engaged, you know. I mean, your relationship with Lenny looks like something really very special, uh, very, very close, every single film since the first short. Yeah. Right up yeah. to the latest yeah. movie. Um, that, that's a, a very particular relationship. Yeah. Um, have any other relationships come close to or approach that level of closeness? I mean, you've, you've worked now a lot with, with Yorgos Lanthimos, yeah. who's not even Irish, English speaking. I know he lives in London, but that's a, an interesting relationship, that's yeah. which you, you have done. You, you made one film with Paolo Sorrentino, you made two films, I think, with Jerzy Skolimowski, but it seems to be of the of the non... Oh, and Ken, you've done a couple of films with Ken Loach. But it seemed to be Lanthimos that you've developed something also quite special with. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I think the film we did with Paolo, the Jerzy films, and the films we did with Ken, we were all the Irish co-producer yeah. on, which yeah. is a distinction because... The films that we've done with the Orgus, we were all, we've always been the main producers on. Yeah. We developed those projects, and yeah. we we were the main producers. Um, and in a way, like we sort of we we the reason we started working with the Orgus is because the film we just finished with the Orgus, which is called The Favorite, which is coming out later this year, um, we had we had that as a script, and we had no director attached, and we saw Dogtooth. And we were looking for a director. We saw Dogtooth, and we gave it to him, and he saw something in it. And that's how it started. He then moved to London, and he then gave us the, the kind of a page and a half on, on The Lobster, which we, we, we went forward with. But that's actually how it started. Um, but but it's, it's, 
but that's a, I mean, it's by its nature, it's a very different relationship to the relationship with Lenny. But it's a, you know, those those two filmmakers, I guess, are the ones that we have, you know, kind of done significant repeat business with and intend to work forward with, you know, work in the future with. But Jorgos is very different to Len. You know, he's mm -hmm. a very different filmmaker, very different person. Um, he's very, very gifted. Um, and, and, and that's a different, it is just a different thing. Yeah, you know? that's partly why I asked it, because they are so evidently very different. But w would you be part of this as well, Andrew? Would you both have your own relationship with Yorgos, for example? Yeah. Or Yeji over a couple of films? Or? Yeah, yeah. I mean, as Ed says, you know, in some of those films where we're co-producing, it's a slightly different relationship. But uh, Yerji, for example... Uh, you know, I would be close with, you know, work closely with Ava, his partner, who produces films. Um, but yeah, I mean, Yorgos, um, he's he he's very dry, as you might guess if you've never met him from his films. Uh, but I, I, I actually get on very well. We both get on very well with him, and he's he's uh, he he's a good guy to spend time with. So. I mean, creatively, Ed spends more time with him than I do, and, you know, those conversations that he's describing, we're not all having those conversations all the time, but, I mean, I would, you know, in particular on The Favour, which was a very big film, was a period film, um, you know, we both would have spent quite a lot of time in the trenches, uh, particularly when there were problems and difficult conversations to be had, and, you know, so, uh, so yeah. But, but again, it's, you know, it's, it's part of the, that sort of, as a partnership, it's not efficient for us both to be doing everything. So we, we divide and conquer too. So, uh, so yeah, I, I guess we go to all the dinners and the red carpets and all the nice bits and Ed hangs out and on set all I day. I do the work. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, not true, not uh, true. But, yeah. And, and Lenny, is anyone who knows Lenny, I mean, he's just such a warm character. You know, he's, like, endlessly approachable and, you know, so, uh, yeah. And all these decisions, including co-productions and so on, mm. these are decisions that you take together to, to get involved in a film? Yeah, very much. I mean, occasionally it might be, you know, I might run a bit ahead on, on a co-production thing or Ed might just run ahead on a more good acquire a book. And, you know, it probably was in the earlier days. We probably were a bit more careful and poured over things a little more. But I guess as we, A, there's more going on, and B, we have a better sense of the parameters of what we're comfortable doing but yeah, I mean, pretty much any any important decision in the company we take together. So yeah. And did that include the first decision to do more than just producing films? Very much. I guess so. the first decision was to have a distribution company. Was Not it? Re it wasn't the first. I mean, the first decision was probably to proactively uh, co-produce with other people. So, okay. um, and you know, we we had at one stage a joint venture with uh, Jim and Arthur, Jim Sheridan and Arthur Lappin, and oh, we. Yes marketed ourselves as uh, co-producers of choice for American production shooting in Ireland and that was quite a quixotic business but we, we did loads of attraction and honeymooners uh, they both came out of that uh, relationship and and you know and they came at an important time in terms of the development of our company and 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 helped sustain the the core business of developing Slater projects that you know we then ultimately wanted to go on and produce so uh, so, so I guess that yeah and then from that as Systems changed, and Saint Leesback went fell away, and new system in the UK. We tended, we then started doing a lot more TV drama, and uh, so it was only in 2007 we set up the distribution business. But that was the first conscious thing. Again, we we tend to spend a lot of time talking about opportunities, and 
perhaps too much time and you know but we we had been talking about distribution really on and off for a couple of years and then we did uh we co-produced ken's uh, film the wind shakes the barley and pathe uh, were the sales agent and uk and irish distributor and we just saw how well they did with that film I and mean, they really cleaned up particularly in ireland and um, we resolved that if we were ever in that situation again, we had an opportunity to, you know, that we would we would be the distributor. So we uh, we made that decision, and then Garage was the first film we. Uh, we Which the, I remember, yeah. yeah. So Garage is ready. We couldn't actually find anyone who wanted to distribute it, uh, and we said, well, let's let this is the one then, and we hired. There was Audrey. another film, wasn't there? There was also Neil Jordan's film Breakfast on Pluto, which did amazing business in Ireland, mm-hmm. and was not much of a success in the yeah. UK. Yeah. But, you know, all the profit from here yeah. went to the UK distributors. So I guess there were a few examples around at that time. There were. I mean, because it's Ken. films could do here. Yeah, Ken always has a solid business in the UK anyway. So Barley did about what, you know, other Ken films up to that point would have done. But then Ireland just disproportionately delivered. So they really yeah. made a killing on, 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 on in that regard. But yeah, there have been examples, often examples of, unfortunately, I, mean, I would say to people, the biggest market for Irish films is Ireland, and it, yeah. it's a fact, you know. So. Well, you, you, you cleaned up with, with The Guard, I mean, mm. a few years later, which was a delight to see, I must say, mm. that it, you know, it all stayed at home, the, the money mm. the film made here, which is great. Yeah. But uh, it seemed at the time, I mean, the history of Irish distribution companies at that point, some of them, you know, Clarence was quite feisty, and uh, but it, it was not an evident thing to do. And this strange relationship that Ireland has with the UK, fundamentally colonial relationship in terms of being traded as a single territory with yeah. the UK, was not encouraging. I mean, it was a pretty brave decision. Why did you raise money to do that? Did you do it out of the money you had? Mm, we, did you agonize over doing it at we, all? Yeah, well, I mean, we, we, we first and foremost just loved the script. So we, 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 we had, uh, John had another film which subsequently became this third film, I can't remember what it's called now, but it was set in America, at the time it was set in the UK. Oh, you're talking about John McDonough? Yeah. Oh, yes, I just meant actually about earlier than that, setting Bard, up a distribution yeah. company. Set earlier than that, sorry, yeah. okay, I thought you were talking about The Guard, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, well, initially, as ever, we started small. So we hired Audrey Shields, she had been working in the UK, yeah. wanted to return to Ireland. Um, and we started again, the But again, it's sort of, a, a, the, even the, 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 like what often happens with us um, is that we have a notion about doing something and then something serendipitous mm. happens to yeah. kind of, to, to propel that notion. So we had Garage, we hadn't sold the distribution rights because we had, had a, had a poor experience with Adam and Paul where we had sold the distribution rights. And we thought basically giving it away to a, a UK distributor for nothing was yeah. you know crazy so we just had a had held on to it and then i think you were on a plane and you saw a girl reading a script like, uh, well i was reading the script you were reading yeah. the script and she fell asleep on my shoulder and then started a conversation when she woke up so it was already <laughs> yeah so uh yeah so we fell into this conversation and she said she was working distribution i said well actually we're, we 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 may be looking for someone and Oh, this is Audrey. Yeah, this yeah. is Audrey. So oh, we're, ne- we're never yeah. like, yeah. We're n- it's not that we're kind of organized enough to go, like, we want to set up a distribution, yeah. let's put an ad out. It's yeah. more like, yeah, yeah. yeah good idea. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. then you meet someone on a plane. Yeah. So and the then, serendipitous yeah, there, that's yeah. Often happening the case. was yeah. Audrey falling asleep. Yeah, yeah. well, yeah. so, uh, yeah, no, that's true. And, and Garage ended up being, it, it actually was a great success that year. I mean, it, it was, we released it on 
uh, I think went out in 12 prints and did about 20,000 euros a print, which is a big result uh, for that film. And uh, but, but you know, what was important for us is, is not just the theatrical performance of the film, but the way it was handled and that we had full control over that. And so we were able to, you know, we worked the whole regional press and we, you know, and we were very careful with the film and because it's a very, it's a, it's a, it's a film that needed proper care. Um, so it's part partly controlled freakery as much as uh, business opportunity, I suppose, that, that drove that. But, um, but yeah, sorry, the, the, the point has got to go on. And they, like the first film where we really did step up and take a risk was on the guard in terms of spending money. I and mean, we, we acquired the UK and Irish yeah. rights. Yeah. Uh, and you took the UK as well, didn't yeah, you? Or yeah. Kept and the UK as well. We, yeah. Well, because of the conundrum you're talking about, you know, UK distributors, you know, so in order to solve that, we actually had to step up and, and buy those rights. And yeah. that was... Uh, you know, and to be honest, at the time it was 2010, 2011. It, it was a moment in the company where we put a lot of chips on the table and kind of went like that, you know, and hoped that you know. So if the film hadn't worked and hadn't delivered, we would have been in, probably in a lot of trouble. But mm -hmm. it worked, and you know, serendipity. It put us in a position that the following year, and, and sorry, not to digress too much on this, but we one of the other businesses we had talked about, and both in terms of passion and opportunity, was uh, Art House Cinema. And we thought, wouldn't it be wonderful to own an Art House Cinema? And we had uh, we spent a bit of time talking about it, and eventually found this great Scottish architect who had been engaged by Robert Redford to develop a chain of art house cinemas in America that never got made, ultimately, and never got built. But uh, he came to Dublin, and he looked, helped us look for sites. This is back in 2005, 2006. And we identified one site in particular, which we thought had great potential. But then it was Celtic Tiger, Celtic Tiger boom time, and the money, the finances never stacked up. So we, we abandoned that idea. And then the lighthouse got developed and thought, well, that's that opportunity gone. But then when the lighthouse, a uh, couple of years later, um, got into trouble and it was back on the market and it was available, because we had distributed the guard and the guard had, had worked, we had the means to, to contemplate taking that on. And um, so that... So you did that from cash flow, thanks yeah. to the guard? Yeah. Effectively. You, not, yeah. Right. Yeah. Have you ever raised capital for Element? No. Not, no. You've had a... Credit line at the bank, which you've used. Uh, we've we've uh, actually only recently and really only tied to our cinema business, which is more traditional and capital right. intensive business. So it's kind of bricks and mortar, and it's easier to borrow for that. I think it's as any producer in the room will know, it's it's kind of hard to borrow money for film production. Oh, or, I wasn't thinking know. of that. Yeah, yeah, no, no, just, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. No, no. For a PNA fund, no, I don't know. No, so. no, we 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 managed to kind of. Yeah, we managed to sort of just keep reinvesting and keep keep um, growing as things. But I mean, Andrew's right. I mean, like The Guard was a really seminal film for us um, because we were in deep trouble at that. Uh, you know, before that film was released, we we the the tank was dry. We actually were running out of money, and we had like had it not worked, we would have had to. We would have had, it would have been really... What, what had led to that? Was that... I think maybe we just hadn't had as... I don't know, I, I mean... Films that were difficult to finance? Yeah, films time. that hadn't happened or... I, yeah. I mean, the, the thing is, it's like... Like, there is a thing, you know, I think, uh, being a producer, you sort of... And again, you know, producing the room would recognise this 
filmmakers in the room will recognize this. You, a lot of it is an act of faith. You know, you kind of, you have to sort of, you know, you have to put yourself out there um, in order uh, for things to happen. And so sometimes you put yourself out there and they don't, and then you face a cliff edge, you know. And, and I think, again, one of the things that, you know, I think we, we, we're, we work quite good at, and I think you have to, ha is to have a kind of, is, is to have a sort of um, tolerance for uncertainty. You know, to kind of actually be able to live with uncertainty and insecurity and to kind of, uh, you know, and our, and our horizons have changed now for sure. But I mean, for an awful lot of the time when we were, you know, we would look at our cash flow and we would have three months, six months, maybe nine, if certain things didn't happen. And some, most of the time they did. But in the case of the, you know, the run up to the guard, we were looking at probably, I don't know, three months. Yeah. It was like... It I mean, was really serious. I think it's also partly because um, part of our whole strategy was to grow, and therefore we had probably a bigger overhead than a lot of our, you know, a lot of a lot of companies typically would have in 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 Ireland. So that only works if if you can keep feeding that, and and so it wasn't enough to produce a film that was critically well received and might have gone to one or two festivals and which we had to defer half our fees on to get made in the first place. So we, we needed something to actually be commercially successful and, and ultimately that was, uh, you know, the experience on the guard. And, um, and I, we, we learned a lot about, we, we learned a lot from that process and, and yeah, anyway, so. Why did you have a strategy to grow? Why did you feel you wanted to, to do more and to be bigger? I think what was, was the motive I think it was part you know it, it was it was it was a strategy of diversification if you like you want to put a business word on it you know this kind of recognition that producing in fact is a mugs game you know if you're if all you're doing is producing and relying on people agreeing to finance your film and to agree to pay you fees out of the budget it's it's so tough mm -hmm. that it's very hard to i mean if you can do it out of your front sitting room, maybe it's sustainable, but it's it's very difficult to to run a business off uh, just out of producing. So we recognised that we just needed to be, you know, distribution, and then ultimately the cinemas all came from that same kind of impulse to just to diversify and also follow passion too. To be honest, I mean, we wouldn't be in distribution or cinemas if it, if it wasn't something that interested us. Um, but it was slightly chicken and egg because in order to develop a slate and be busy, we needed to have a team to do that and to be in distribution. You can't sort of half be in distribution. So we had a full team and, you know, one of our early uh, um, kind of relationships in distribution was hooking up with Will Clark at Optimum Releasing, who then became Studio Canal. And we've, oh, yeah. we have, uh, we've sub-distributed for, for them. You released for him. Yeah. You yeah. know, so we've released all their films. So, 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 you know, it's it's been about all that, but it, uh, but it uh, that period we're talking about nine to eleven. Obviously, there's an awful lot going on in the economy generally. Ireland was in a lot of trouble. Mm -hmm. We were at that phase where we had invested in a bigger company, but quite we didn't quite have the income stream to justify that yet. So it was just a tricky time, I suppose. So yeah. that led you to the edge of the abyss, hmm. uh, but the guard just hauled you out of it. Yeah, in, yeah. In, in classic. Time. Film fairy tale land. <laughs> well, yes, yeah. that's that's what yeah. I was thinking. Mm. I mean, you also did something at around that time in the middle of of, of a, a very tough time. I remember, um, which was to decide to devise a, an online platform, hmm. Volta, yeah. VOD platform here, yeah. which was clearly a risky thing. 
Yeah. I mean, distribution was risky, but to, to get into online uh, platform distribution is risky, I would have thought. <coughs> but that, you did that despite the fact that you knew that times were tough. Um, yeah. Was that brave or was that... Is that crazy? And it what was driving that? Was that a passion of some kind? Well, I think it, you know, it was that? partly it, it was partly recognized, and it's, I don't want to bore people with the detail around distribution. But you know, the challenge trying to distribute in Ireland is separating the UK and Ireland out, and it's very difficult to do that. And in particular, it's because a UK distributor doesn't want an Irish distributor distributing DVDs that will then be bought and sent across the border and all that. So we recognise that with digital, there was an opportunity to try and separate out UK and Irish rights and that there was a need there was a need so I guess in the, we sort of identified there's an industry need for someone to do this and as nobody else was doing it we decided to do it um, and it was also at a time I mean again that came from you know we used to we spent a couple of years trying lots of things and actually we, we at one stage we had hired this guy and he was a kind of a techie guy and we we were looking at virtual reality and we were you know we'd various mini projects it was almost like a slate of tech projects, most of which we didn't really understand, but they were interesting and it was a kind of a break from the day job, so we'd sit in a room and stroke our chins and say, mm, that could be that could be interesting. Uh, and what came out of all of that was Volta. And it was like, okay, well this is something we can sort of understand and we see a need for it. And uh, I mean the truth was then the business model wasn't proven and, and today it's it's definitely not proven. I mean it's it's but although ironically in a way the need is greater, I think, because you know, you kindly said we show every Irish film ever made, and that's not really true. I mean, we show as many as we can get. Uh, there's a lot of Irish films that have been made that just aren't available, and, you know, we, we try and put them together, and I think increasingly the only place these films will be found is on a platform like Felder because the old DVD store is gone. The metropolis that Ed described in Bagger Street, which was a treasure trove, it, those places are gone now, and, and, you know, so there is a need to have a digital you know, kind of repository somewhere where every Irish film ever made can be found. But no, that's uh, what yeah. I mean. When you brought the idea to the film mm. board, that's yeah. that's what for me gave it its yeah. real heft. Yeah, I thought it was an extraordinary idea, culturally speaking, mm. for Ireland, yeah. for the country that it is, with the cinema history it has. And when you said, I remember at some meeting or other, you know, we we, we will uh, our aim will be to carry every Irish film that's mm. ever been made. Yeah, this seemed to me, and I mean just in brackets, I've continued with a, a project in Central Europe, which is based on a very similar idea, yeah. with countries there, putting a module, a series of modular platforms together for an educational purpose. Mm -hmm. But it completely subsidized. You can't do it any other way. Yeah. It has to be 100% subsidized. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I, I just really hoped you would carry on with that. But I, I can see it doesn't really probably add to the business value of, of, of the company. No comment. You're smiling, <laughs> Riley. Okay. Well, I'm just noticing how fast the, the time is going. But And if anybody wants to ask questions, um, do by all means. But I, I, I do want to ask you about kind of what's next and what, what the next steps. Do you have a plan, more than one plan? Do you look ahead? To what extent do you look ahead? Is there something, an announcement waiting in the wings to be made at the moment? I mean, what's, what's up? I mean, I think, um, you know, what, what, what we're really excited about, I suppose, is, is, is continuing to do more of, I suppose, the, kind of, the kinds of 
work that we've done with Lenny and Yorgos, and more recently, Sebastian Lelio, we did his first English language film. That was which, a great choice. Uh, Disobedience, which is here on Sunday for anyone who's here. Um, and we're, we're about to produce uh, Sean Durkin's new movie, uh, the guy who did Martha Marcy May Marlene. Mm. So I, I think increasingly what we see ourselves doing is making whatever you want to call it, you know, specialty, art house, whatever, international kind of filmmaker-driven films. Um, uh, I mean, the fact that we're Irish is incidental to that, by the way. You know, it's really... So it's it's gravitating to those filmmakers that we admire internationally and working with them and making films... Um, you know, for the for for the for the world market, that's 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 a big focus for us. Um, and in a way, you know, the kind of the fact that we work with Lenny and Yorgos is a sort of is a is a is a magnet actually for other filmmakers because they kind of the fact that they see that you're working continuously with filmmakers of that quality mean that they're kind of think, oh, that's interesting. And you know, but but also in order to do that, what we realized is to grow as a company what we need to do is to grow our, if you like, our producer power, if that makes sense. And so what we've, what we've really encouraged within the company is more producers within the company so that they can in turn develop their own relationships and, and make films. You know, that obviously we're across, but we're main, maybe not the kind of key relationship. And um, as many know, Rory Gilmartin works with us and Emma Norton and Roseanne Flynn in the UK. And they're all producers with their own slates making things and, and that's certainly something that we see as a way of growing so is building our producing capacity and then uh, alongside that um, is, is, is a real push into television uh, again internationally because the opportunities here are so really limited um, and um, Does that mean the UK or, or No or internationally I think yeah. it means everywhere I, I, partly also because I mean, again, it's partly a response to the filmmakers we work with because actually they see now the possibilities of doing really interesting work in that arena, you know, that actually that there's really interesting things to be done there so that, so that you, you, you don't want, you know, Lenny or Yorgos going off and making those things with someone else. We, mm. we want to be doing it with them, you know. And also just simply because we, you know, we, we put an awful lot of effort into kind of trawling for new books and... Uh, and actually, very often we'll come across a book that we think is brilliant for TV and not for film. It would be crazy not to develop that as as something for television. So, um, and and then of course, you know, we will always want to make films here. And as I, as I referred to earlier, we made this lovely film, Paddy Burdock's new film, Rosie, um, with Roddy Roddy Doyle wrote. So will that because we're Irish, that will always be part of our kind of DNA as a company, but I think we see a lot of opportunity expanding internationally and making more films internationally. But always remaining, retaining a base in Ireland. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, we live here, and, 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 yeah, absolutely. And I, I actually think that, I think that sort of culturally that's quite important. I think that, I think that you know, um, historically, because we're a small country, we've always had to look outside, you know, and I think that um, you know, even going way back to you know the early '90s, if you like, the opportunities of Europe and media and co-production, and you know, very much encouraged by yourself when you were here. But it, like the idea of kind of working with people internationally, I think, has made us very open to kind of working with filmmakers internationally. Actually, you know, it's not just producers internationally, but filmmakers internationally. Mm-hmm. And I think that actually there's a thing about the sort of 
you know, I mean, I used to joke when, when, you know, when we started off, you know, like in the whatever it was, early 90s, that as an Irish producer, you know, if you, if you went to America with something, you know, everyone had this kind of preconception of you as kind of like uh, a leprechaun or like, you know, kind of from a kind of mystical land of whatever. Uh, or, and if you went to the UK, you were kind of like associated with terrorism, actually in those days, honestly. Mm. But if you went to Europe, you were from the land of Beckett and Joyce and, you know, Nobel prize winners for literature. So there is a kind of, there is a kind of helpful association for us be, with us being Irish when we go out into the world and talk to international filmmakers. It feels like we don't bring as much, we're not British and we're certainly not American. So there's a kind of, maybe there's a kind of a more, a more um, supportive, open kind of environment within which to work. And I think as a company, what, because we've, I think we offer a bridge for filmmakers who work in in other languages, mm. you know, in say in Europe or whatever, like very much someone like Sebastian, who you know has a reputation as a filmmaker in 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 Latin, you know, Spanish cinema, um, but wants to make a film in English, and we're kind of a safe haven because we we know all the agents in Hollywood, they trust us with their actors because we've worked with a lot of big actors at this point, um, but you're not going to Hollywood. You're coming to Ireland, and that's a, and and also the way that we are culturally with filmmakers is like uber supportive. You know, the idea of, you know, we're we're really there to support. That doesn't mean that we sort of don't sort of make our opinions known, or that we kind of you know sort of are a, are a, a pushover. We're not at all, um, but we we definitely are. You know, very kind of director-driven, very auteur-friendly, and they're the things we like to do, and they're the films we get excited about, and that's what we want to do more of. I'm sure you're right. I mean, when I came here, this is what I found as one of the great strengths of, of, of Ireland, I thought, is it's the English-language country about which nobody has the kind of prejudices yeah. that people have about the UK or the US. And so the rest of Europe was utterly delighted to come and work with us. And I, I'm, I'm sure you're right to stay here and make the very most of that. I mean, the fact that Paolo Sorrentino came here because he just had such a poor welcome in the UK. And was, he did go to the UK afterwards, by the way. <laughs> well, I know, but for that particular film, he was told by the guy who runs Eurimage to come and find Ireland because it was the place to be if you want to be understood and to to have your voice respected, and, and he was totally happy with his experience here, and Yorgoth has obviously followed the same path in a way and found in yeah. you um, the, the gateway that is a sympathetic gateway. It's great. So, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm sure you're right to be deciding to stay here. For one thing, it makes, you, it makes you distinctive, it makes you special, and you have something unique to offer. As Larry Bass would say, your unique selling point is Ireland, um, as he said earlier this afternoon. Um, but anything else? I mean, is there, is there anything, anything, any area that you're thinking of getting into that you're not already in? Uh, or is it mostly building this, this kind of producer, this producer skill, this producer strength? Is that mainly what, what it's about now? Yeah, I think. I mean, I think as as we've probably already covered, uh, as Ed has covered, TV dramas is a big yeah. focus in terms of that growth. Yeah. So we'll continue to to do what we do in film and hope to do more of that. But we see a real opportunity in TV drama, and we're we're uh, we're shortly going to announce someone we've hired to head up 
our efforts in that regard in the UK. And um, so, yeah, so it's it's producing for the world market, but but out of the UK where where there is a lot of opportunity. So, yeah, in the short term, I think that's what you, we... You, you may have made a... There's one area of the business which you might have got into because it's, you know, first... The money comes to you first, uh, which is being a sales agent. But it, it may be a smart thing to mm. miss that chapter, actually. It, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it is another... You know, if, if anything... If I, if I was... As Ed described, it is sort of happen chance often with the way we fall into things. But if we're to give ourselves any credit, we do spend time talking about all these areas, and and that is an area. Actually, the two things we talked about was studio construction and sales. So you know, we mm. we did find an architect to build studios. We did look into that uh, many years ago, but uh, concluded that wasn't for us. But hopefully, someone else will do it. But um, and in terms of yeah, sales, I mean, we, we have thought about it. I think the sales business has become extremely tough. I think well, distribution, I we know. Yeah. how tough distribution is and I think that from a sales point of view that has a trickle trickle up effect I guess yeah. I mean I think yeah. what's very you know like you know it's a really changing world at the moment um, but um, I mean in terms of distribution and sales and all of that that's really changing but but actually what's 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 very clear is that there's still a massive appetite for content and mm-hmm. and so therefore there are huge opportunities for people who make content you know and 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 I don't see that that's even less rich or diverse than it has been in the past in in some ways it's actually becoming more rich and more diverse and and so there's actually opportunities for all you know different sorts of content and I think it will continue to evolve I think the key thing of course and I know this it's an obvious thing to say is that it has to be high quality it has to be distinctive and again I think you know it's one of the things that we've learned in how we've gone about, you know, like with a lot with a lot of our failures as well, is that to make something that's successful nowadays, you have to make something that really stands out and that isn't like something else. Do you know what I mean? It's got to, it's got to have its own kind of uniqueness and it's got to take creative risks, and it can't feel like something else. And um, and 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 that's always the thing for us. I think when we come across material or we're looking for material as a company, is like, what's different about this? What hasn't been seen in this before? What's new about it? Why why would anyone you know either turn on their television or why would they go and spend ten euros to go and see this in the cinema? What's you know and 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 therefore we gravitate towards people who actually inherently have something interesting and unique mm-hmm. to say. Um, but I think that that's, like, it is really exciting because I think there's so much opportunity for that now. Would you agree, Andrew, with that? that I mean, is there enough money around? Is there enough yeah. money for content? Well, uh, yeah. I mean, I don't, I, you know, I don't, we've never been in a situation where we've had a script that is ready to go, has cast attached, that we haven't been able to raise finance for. So it, it doesn't it doesn't feel like money is the is the issue. I mean, it's a slightly different point Ed's making is around, you know, the demand for content. So, you know, whether it's Netflix or BBC or whatever, the, you know, there is, a dem- there is a demand there. But I think, again, reiterating what Ed has said, is like if, if the script is good enough, you will always find the money. I mean, that's not, that's not the problem. And the other interesting thing uh, that we have experienced is, you know, most actors are, you know, really serious about their work and they're very kind of... Uh, 
sophisticated in their taste. So they're, you know, you might find actors who are big name actors who are working in big films and getting big paydays. They still want to work on really interesting films too, and you know, at a at a different level economically, if you like. Um, and, and that's still the key. So if the material's good enough and the director's interesting enough, you will attract the talent. If you attract the talent, you'll find the money. There's the resources for the films yeah. you want to make, in yeah. fact. Yeah. I mean, the, 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 the struggle for us is, is more about finding the things we want to make and the people with whom we want to make those things mm -hmm. than it is about finding money. Mm -hmm. The yeah. money follows, yeah. you know, that there's... The, and I know that sounds like maybe... a kind of a privileged thing to say and I don't mean that I don't I don't because that could be at any scale actually mm. the big question is is this good enough to make yeah. and is it interesting enough to make and then the next question is well how do we get it done mm. Mm. when you look at your year ahead do you have planning meetings between you uh, do you do you prioritize where you're going to apply your effort do you have a, a, a scheme at any one time or allocation of resources or do you work that way or is it always kind of instinctive and shared instinct? I think we, I mean, we probably don't plan enough and we probably don't spend enough time talking to each other, but we have a lot of people that we work with, yeah. you know, and a lot of very clever people that we work with and, and they're very much, I mean, obviously it's Andrew and I sitting up here, but actually... You know, there are so many people in the company that have been with us for an awful long time that have, you know, grown up with us and been part of it. And so, you know, we all spend a lot of time talking to each other, yeah. you know, and that's, you know, and, and, and it's easy for us to take the kind of, to be the, the visible ones. But actually, you know, there's, there's so many people that are, that, are, that are part of that. So that we talk, we, we do talk a lot, you know, right across the company and... And we're constantly, constantly reassessing what we're doing and thinking, is it the right thing to do? And, and making decisions out of the mistakes that we make, which we make very, very frequently. Mm -hmm. and, and trying to kind of understand, you know, and, and, to, and to change our minds about the future. That's a constant process. Yeah. It's a big pleasure. Thank you very much. Thanks, Thanks.